It's Lucy Litch, and this is Tiny House Conversations. It's the Australian-based podcast where I interview experienced tiny houses, tiny builders, and adventurers in the tiny world, so you can discover how to create, build, and transition into tiny life. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about a wellness company whose products I've been using for many years, which I'll also have in my tiny house, and you might like to as well. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while and following along, or you know me personally, you'll know that health is super important to me. It's my number one value, and that includes a healthy home environment, especially a healthy tiny home environment. And Block Blue Light are an amazing company who supply specialty downlights, light bulbs, reading lamps, blue blocking glasses, and much more to help reduce your exposure to artificial light from all your devices, regular LED lights, and other unnatural sources of lighting, as well as electromagnetic fields or EMFs, especially at the wrong times of the day or night. Artificial light can impact our sleep and can contribute to other health effects, often unknowingly, which we'll cover in a future episode. And just like anything, the key is what impact this has on our health over the long term. Block Blue Light's products use amber and red lights or lenses, think sunset, candle, moonlight and fire vibes, which humans naturally would have been exposed to, especially in the evenings in our ancestral past. I especially love my clear crystal blue blocking glasses to wear during the day to work on my computer, as well as their light bulbs and twilight sleep lamps at night and their twilight red light torches for camping weekends away. And in my tiny home, instead of having regular LED downlights, all my downlights are amber ones from block blue light, which means I don't have to worry about exposure to unnatural blue light. And for someone who has had challenges with sleep for several years, I absolutely notice a difference in sleep when I use my specialty blue blockers, lamps and lights, which have been shown to support production of your sleep hormone melatonin for healthier sleep patterns. Now, the good news is Block Blue Light are offering you, a listener of the podcast, 10% off your order when you use my unique link and code. Just head over to tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash blue light and use the code THC podcast. That's THC for tiny house conversations to get your discount. I'll also put a link in the show notes for you for easy access. And if you haven't heard my tiny house conversation with naturopath Amy Skilton, all about reducing EMFs in your tiny home or any home, this includes reducing your exposure to blue light. So check out episode number 32, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. And stay tuned for a podcast all about reducing artificial blue light in your tiny home and why it's important for your health. Now, here's the intro for today's show. Hey, it's Lucy, and welcome back to Tiny House Conversations. Today is a solo cast, and in this episode, I'll be sharing with you all the different aspects that went into creating a healthy home environment for my tiny home, and that includes preparing for my tiny house custom design process, going through the design process, and then preparing for having my tiny house on site in its parking space. Now, if you haven't heard episode number 36, My Tiny House Custom Design, I recommend checking that out and I'll put a link in the show notes at tinyhouseconversations.com. It'll give you a, a, an overview of all the different design choices that I made and you know, where things are situated in my tiny home. Uh, but in this episode, it'll be a bit different because I'm going to go into more of the details of the healthy home aspects. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that Health is very important to me and that I have a passion for bringing building biology into the tiny house space because not enough people are talking about it and what's more important than our health. And so I have a few different episodes, episode number 28, Mold Proof Your Tiny Home with naturopath Amy Skilton, episode number 32, Reducing Electromagnetic Fields in Your Tiny Home, also with naturopath Amy Skilton, and then episode number 40, are building materials affecting your health with building biology new build consultant Zara Dakota. So again, those episodes will be in the show notes at tinyhouseconversations.com. 
If you haven't heard what building biology is, I just want to give you a short definition here from one of the leading building biologists in Australia, Nicole Bilsma. And on her website, she says, building biology is the evaluation and control of health hazards in the built environment. This involves assessing the home for allergens, toxicants in air and water, electromagnetic fields and biotoxins unique to a water damaged building and providing strategies to address exposure and or source control and abatement. And if you want to know just a bit more about building biology, uh, go, go back and listen to those episodes, especially number 28 with Amy, where I actually asked her to give a, a definition of building biology and what a building biologist does. For myself being in the health and wellness space for over 10 years now, and for that being my way of life for a really long time too, I understand that health is so much more than just nutrition, movement, sleep, and other lifestyle aspects, although those are very important. But our environment, including our home, is just as important, if not more so, especially if we're spending time for extended periods in, the, in those places. Now, before I get into all the details, I want to share with you something that came up for me a few times that you might be able to relate to yourself, whether you're designing a tiny house, but even just any other aspects of your life. And I know it's something that I can relate to in other aspects of my life as well, is that this idea of not worrying about what other people think. So for me, as it relates to creating a healthy home, some of the different requests that I had and the different questions that I asked were maybe a bit out, out of the box and not as, as common and not, uh, and maybe some newer things that, you know, the building company didn't deal with before or hadn't been asked before. And so I had to really keep myself in check and just notice those times where I might almost be worried. Oh, I don't want to ask a silly question or I don't want to seem like I'm difficult or weird or strange or, you know, whatever word you, you want to use it about it. But it, I, I really had to just be like, you know what? This is my health. This is my tiny home. I'm paying all this money. I'm investing all this time. It's a big deal. And I'm going to be living in this space, hopefully for a long time. And so just be okay with asking these different or unique questions and be okay with just asking for what you want or seeing if what you want is possible. And, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I would just really want to highlight that here at the start, because you might experience that in your own way, you know, whatever it is that you're, whatever experience that you're having or whatever situation you might be in is just noticing when you fall into that worrying about what other people think, and then remember the bigger picture of it, of it all and be like, no, I'm okay with asking the weird questions, or I'm okay with doing something that's a bit out of the box and different to what other people might do. Now, that being said, let's dive in. So first thing I want to share is what I found super valuable for preparing for the, the custom design process was to actually do some consultations with different people. So I actually consulted with four different people during the preparation and the design of my tiny home. That included two different EMF consultants, electromagnetic fields consultants, field consultants, as well as composting toilet and wastewater management consultant, and then a consulting session for just preparing for different aspects of starting out on tiny house living and just asking a few different questions about that. So I'll share a little bit more about those different people as we get to the different areas when I, when I talk about them. But the first area I wanted to, to talk about, because I feel like this was one of the main aspects of creating a healthy home for me, was the electromagnetic field situation. So the electroclimate of my tiny home. And so the two people that I consulted with were one was Amy Skilton, who was on the podcast twice, I mentioned before. And then the other was Lynn McLean, who is the founder of EMR Australia or Electromagnetic Radiation Australia. And you know, being on this path of health and wellness for a long time and having an awareness of this electromagnetic field situation, I'd already had a lot of stuff in place in my own life, just in other homes that I lived in uh, and different practices and things like that. But 
This was a really new experience to have the opportunity to create my home from scratch where I could actually have a say in and have maybe a bit of control over how things are constructed and laid out and set up when it comes to uh, the electrical wiring in a home. And so both Amy and Lynn said to me, and I kind of intuitively knew this already, is don't have any electrical wiring in the sleeping area and don't have any electrical wiring in the living area. Those are the two areas that we spend most time. And then just to take a step further when it comes to the sleeping side of things is you may or may not know this already, but when we're sleeping, our sleep state is, you know, the ultimate healing state. It's when our body is resting and there's so many different processes going on so that we're able to heal. And, you know, different hormonal things happening, different things with our brain. And so when we're exposed to electromagnetic fields, when they're too close to us and we're sleeping and going through that healing state, you know, those processes can be interrupted. And so that's like a really important thing to consider. And for me, I also have a, a bit of a sensitivity to these these fields and, and have had sleep challenges over the years. So this was just something that was super important to me. And so when I spoke with Danielle, the first thing I said to her was, you know, the, the biggest and most important thing for me is creating a healthy home environment. And that includes being strategic about the where the electrical wiring is going to be situated. And then one of the other things that Lynn said to me was make sure that you ask for the active and neutral electrical wires to be run together, not separately. Now, I don't understand the the way things are laid out and, and, you know, that kind of terminology when it comes to electrical wiring, the active and neutral and how that all works. But I that was something that I either mentioned to Danielle and she made sure that that was that was the case with, with their electrician. So that was really great. And then following on from the electrical wiring was also not to have any PowerPoints or light fittings or any kind of electrical thing around those areas as well, especially the sleeping loft. So what I've done is I actually have no electrics at all in the sleeping loft. Um, the closest electrical thing would be the downlight, which is on the ceiling right above the top step of the landing that goes into my loft, but nowhere near my head and, and you know, nowhere in proximity where it's going to be an issue. I do have a downlight and a PowerPoint in the lounge area, but they're in specific places where it's kind of easy to not be sitting around them or not be exposed to them for so many hours at a time. Uh, then what both... Lynn and Amy said to me was make sure that you don't have any of the appliances, the electrical appliances uh, around, you know, those areas either. And especially be mindful that if you have the kitchen underneath your sleeping loft and there are electrical appliances there, especially something like a fridge, which is on all the time, you're going to have the uh, the exposure to electromagnetic fields, but they're going to be coming from underneath the sleeping loft, so underneath where your bed is. And that's also electromagnetic fields are able to penetrate that area and are able to, um, you know, you're, you're, you're still exposed to them. And so this is a big reason why in the layout of my tiny home, I have the storage loft on top of the kitchen. And then at the other end, I've got the lounge room underneath the sleeping loft. So to avoid that, that situation. And then with all the utility stuff, like the gas hot water system and the, the external PowerPoint, those are all located on the opposite end of where I'm sleeping and of the lounge area. So those are on the outside of the tiny, but outside where the bathroom is, which is a place that I'm not going to spend a lot of time for an extended period of time. So that's something to consider as well. Now, one of the things along these lines that I mentioned to Danielle was that I didn't want to have any appliances in the home that were Bluetooth, smart or other wireless technologies, and that I would want to have everything that was hardwired. And, you know, one of the things about being exposed to electromagnetic fields is the best thing that you can do is to keep your distance from them. But obviously in a tiny home, smaller space, it's harder to create that distance. And so, especially with wireless technology, which covers a wider, the fields cover a wider 
area um, that you can be exposed to versus, say, electric or magnetic fields, which typically if you're about two meters away from them, It's not such a bad thing because the fields drop off, but wireless fields uh, extend even further. And so even with my, my iPhone and my, my laptop at the moment in, in my, my home now, uh, and as well as when I move into my tiny home, uh, I actually have them hardwired. So I use the ethernet connection and I'm not using wireless just to be able to minimize because again, it's that distance that makes a difference. And then the other component of that is the exposure over a long period of time and that Yes, we can't control what's happening outside our environment and with our neighbors and, and those types of things. And when we're going into public places or what our neighbors have in their homes, you know, nearby ours, but where it really counts is our own environment because that's where we're most exposed and we're in the closest proximity to. So this is a a really important thing for me. Now, interestingly enough, I went through the design process before I recorded episode number 32 with Amy. Now, I was aware that having a colorbond roof and colorbond cladding were good options for reflecting wireless fields from the outside of your tiny home. But what Amy said in this episode, which made me go, oh no, I've got to revisit this, is that when you have the colorbond on the outside, but wireless fields on the inside, whether it's from appliances or devices like your phone, your laptop and and other electronics, that the color bond can really amplify those wireless fields inside your tiny and create this microwave type environment. And so coupled with what Amy had said in the podcast, as well as something Lynn had said to me in a consultation, that just because an electronic device has a power cord or a plug doesn't mean it doesn't have wireless Bluetooth or smart technology. And then I was stressing a bit because then I was like, oh no, we've already signed off on all these things in the design process. And I, I went to Danielle and I, I shared with her, you know, w- what Amy mentioned and, and this different, this new information that I, that I received. And this is one of the things that I love about working with them because, you know, no, there were no stupid questions. Nothing is too hard. You know, I was able to kind of, um, let her know about these things. And then she got in contact with the electrical department at their building company and just flag this and make sure they knew to check on every electronic device that that was going to be in my tiny. So it was things like the fridge, the oven, the fan, the exhaust fan in the bathroom, the smoke detector, the the range hood and and a couple of other things. And I'm so grateful they went through it all super carefully for me and, and eventually came back and said there's no wireless, smart or Bluetooth technology. And yeah, so that was that was interesting. But yeah, something that that's really important to consider. And Amy actually mentioned to me that she has clients that have been in that situation before of really creating this this strong microwave type environment and, and becoming, you know, unwell. And so with the lighting in my home, I supplied all the down lights from a company called Block Blue Light, who specialize in specialty light bulbs that remove the blue light. And so you would have heard more about that at the beginning of this episode. So my external light on the outside of my tiny above the front door, uh, I've also got a block blue light E27 screw bulb, which has also got the blue light removed. And not to go into too much nerdy detail about all of this, but some of the main reasons for having these amber bulbs that have the blue light removed is There are health effects from this artificial blue light that come from whether it's light bulbs, also our devices, so our phones, our computers, and, you know, pretty much every electronic device emits this blue light frequency. So if you think about nature and how we would have lived in our natural environment and being more connected to the light and the dark cycles of the sun and the moon. So during the day, we would be exposed to all this natural light from the sun, including the blue light from the sun, but in a natural way. Uh, and then, you know, in the evening, the darkness comes. And so there's there's moonlight and there's uh, maybe also firelight, candles, that kind of thing. 
those are natural ways of exposure to you know, the different light frequencies and the different light spectrums. But now what we have in our modern environment is that we have this situation where we're exposed to these bright blue lights from our devices and from our light bulbs and our lamps and and all sorts of things in the evening time. So it's almost like darkness never comes. And when that happens, when we create that artificial environment and, and we kind of become out of alignment with the light and dark cycles, the natural light and dark cycles of the sun and the moon, that's where we start to see different health effects. And for some people, it can manifest in sleep issues. Other people, there could be uh, many other different health effects, uh, you know, too much to go into now. One other analogy I want to use is, you know, when, when you're watching a sunset and the sky goes from blue to then all these beautiful red and orange and yellow colors, that's the blue light being removed from the sky. And what is left are those amber, orange, red, yellow type colors that we're supposed to be exposed to in the evening. And that's nature. And so inside our home environments, we've created this situation that is very far from nature. So by using these types of things like the downlights and I and I have other things like lamps and, and different light bulbs and, and blue blocking things. Uh, that's my way in the modern world of kind of trying to mimic these natural cycles of nature. And just a side note, if you want to know more about all of this, there's a really great book called Lights Out, Sleep Sugar Survival by T.S. Wiley. I'll put a link in the show notes. And she goes deeper into all of this, including the health effects of being exposed to all this unnatural light in our, in our modern environment and living out of alignment with nature. Now, a couple more things I want to say about the electromagnetic fields is the situation that I have with the internet. So for a few years now, I have not had Wi-Fi internet at all. I've had a modem that I got from EMR Australia that's just an Ethernet modem, so there's no Wi-Fi at all, and basically plug in an Ethernet cable in between the modem and my laptop, and so there's no wireless fields at all. So I'm going to be doing the same thing in my tiny home Now, because I'm going to be living in a rural area, I only have access to satellite internet. So what I've done for that from an EMF perspective is having that color bond roof where the satellite dish is going to be on top of the roof and using the same type of approach uh, for wireless fields and then having that internet modem that's ethernet rather than Wi-Fi that's going to be connected to the satellite modem, which I've checked. The satellite modem doesn't have any Wi-Fi that comes from it, although it might have some other electric and magnetic fields. It doesn't at least have the wireless technology. Now, you might be thinking that some of that talk around electromagnetism and light spectrums and all of that kind of stuff is maybe a little too much or why even bother or you know, it's not a priority or it just sounds inconvenient, too hard basket, what's the point? What I would say to that is I feel like we live in a world that's become so obsessed with convenience and productivity and how can I do this more efficiently and, you know, all of our technology is becoming wireless and what is this doing to our health? You know, is this the healthiest way? I know for me I'd rather be a bit old school and, maybe have to even go out of my way, which I often do for the sake of my health, rather than, you know, taking the the easy way, the short way, the more convenient way, potentially at the expense of my health. Uh, And so that's kind of how I look at it. And then, you know, the other part to that is I know with a lot of this EMF stuff in the last few years and talking about 5G and people bringing up this idea of this is a conspiracy theory and on and on and on. And what I'd say to that is we are electromagnetic beings and we know that electricity affects us and we are being exposed to so much more radiation from these devices than we were even 10 years ago. And so time will tell what these kinds of things do to our health over the long term as we As a species, we're living out of alignment with our natural design and our natural environment.
And people have been talking about this stuff for years, well before 2020. People like Dr. Jack Cruz, there's a book by Dr. Robert Obecker called The Body Electric, and many other health practitioners. Lynn from EMR Australia, who I mentioned earlier in the podcast, who I've known for years and I've consulted with through the tiny house process, she's been doing this work for over 30 years and going through the different science. Uh, in in my episode with Amy Skilton, episode number 32, Reducing Electromagnetic Fields in Your Tiny Home, Amy talks about a scientific database that catalogues the health effects of electromagnetic field exposure and that thousands of them are funded by industry. And, you know, there's no surprise with that. We, we can say with a lot of things, you've got to follow the money and see who's behind all of these types of things, like who's funding this and, and where are the conflicts of interest. If all of this is completely new to you and it's all a little bit over your head, I would really recommend checking out that episode with Amy because she does a really beautiful job at explaining a complex topic and putting it into more simple, easier to understand language with practical tips uh, that you can you know, take into your everyday life. If if this is something that you want to explore more if, or if this is something that is really important for you. You know, when we look out there in the world today, there's no denying that the state of our human health as well as our planetary health is is suffering at the moment and there's so many more diseases, there's so much more ill health and health complaints. And, you know, with our modern life and our modern environment, there are so many different factors that could be contributing to this. We can't say that, yes, it's this one thing, but maybe, just maybe, you know, EMFs could be one of those contributing factors and it's just something to consider. Now, moving on to another aspect of creating a healthy home. One of the other things I said to Danielle at the start of our design meeting was I really want to be super particular and and mindful about not creating an environment that is conducive to mold. So obviously having really good ventilation and, you know, the usual exhaust fans and that kind of stuff, which is, which is what they already do anyway, like having a range hood, having a bathroom exhaust fan. Uh, but what I learned in episode number 28 on mold with Amy Skilton was that in terms of the windows, Amy said it's best to have windows on every wall. So I made sure that that was the case and that ideally you would have thermally broken windows from a mold perspective or if not double glazed. And I think that double glazed is is much more accessible to find whereas I did some research on thermally broken and it seemed to be hard to access or was really expensive and um, so I went with with all double glazed windows even though I initially had chosen in my bathroom to have one of those single glazed louver windows and then after I did the the interview with Amy I, I ended up changing it to double glazed and so what I'm also going to just make sure that I do is just have the home, have my windows open as much as possible. So in my sleeping loft, I've got a skylight above my bedroom. And then in, in that area as well, I've got like a, uh, I've got a left and a right hand window so that there's a cross breeze as well on both sides of my uh, sleeping loft. And yeah, lots of windows downstairs too, especially like in the, in the lounge area, we'll also be spending a lot of time. And so, yeah, that was definitely something that super important to me. And then, and then what I also have now, but I'll, I'll be bringing to my tiny house is having a, an air purifier or a HEPA air filter. And I'll put a link in the show notes for the one that I have. And there'll also be a, a discount code for for 10% off for that um, using Zara Dakota's uh, discount code. So I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Something that both Amy mentioned in episode 28 and Zara mentioned in episode 40 is also the dehumidifier. And so that's something that I haven't got already, but I will look into that once I move into my tiny home. And again, I'll put a link in the show notes for the one that Zara mentioned, uh, that Zara recommends. And I'll also put her discount code for 10% off there too. Now, if you listen to episode 36, where I talk about my tiny house design, I also shared about the different, some of the different building materials that I provided. So the exterior timber oil for the cedar cladding on the outside of my tiny home, as well as the wall paint for the insides on the ceilings and the the walls and, and trims and as well as the 
countertop oil that was used on my mountain ash timber kitchen bench top and the uh, the loft ladder and also the loft stairs, which turned out really, really beautiful. So I'm going to put a link in the episode show notes to all of these, but I'll just run through them a little bit with you one by one. So for the natural exterior timber oil, I used Bioproducts brand, which you can either get from Bioproducts themselves, but I bought them from Eco at Home, which are based in Sydney. It was just a bit easier because they had all these different products that I could get shipped together and didn't have to get them shipped from interstate like they're already in New South Wales. And for the interior walls and ceilings, I also used Bioproducts Bio Wall Paint from Eco at Home. And then the primer that goes underneath that wall paint, again, for the interior walls and and ceilings before using the wall paint was the Bio Products Bio Wall Primer. And then for the interior trim, so the doors, the architraves and the skirts, we use Bio Products Bio Enamel Lacquer also from Eco at Home. And then the countertop oil was the Livos countertop oil also from Eco at Home. And interestingly enough, and I mentioned this in my conversation with Zara in episode 40, the timber bench top turned out so beautiful and it had a darker appearance than the bench tops that designer eco usually have when they use their, their, their regular finishing oil. And they loved it so much themselves that they're going to see how they can try and incorporate that same countertop oil in all their builds going forward or at some point. And so I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, and it just goes to show you that when you use something natural, how, you know, these materials respond. And it was the same and it was the same situation for the the exterior timber oil as well and the, the cedar on the outside. It just brought out this beautiful darker golden honey color and the grain just looks so beautiful. Yeah, I'm just really happy with, with how they turned out. And then for the exterior fascia, we use the Natural Paint Co's Fortitude color, which is the closest color we could get to the monument color of the Colorbon roof. And then I want to share with you about my bed because I moved from Sydney about three months ago at the time of recording now down to the south coast of New South Wales and I didn't bring a bed with me and I already knew that I wanted I I, it was time for me to get a new mattress and bed frame anyway I think my old one my old ones are many years old and I just wanted to have something new and fresh and clean in my tiny home and so I went with a new mattress from the natural bedding company and also a bed frame and so I went with the Aurora mattress with the low line bed frame and the low line bed frame is made out of untreated Tasmanian oak. And it's this real minimalist type bed frame, which I really like because, you know, being in a tiny house, especially in a loft space where there's not too much space, the, the bed frame's not too uh, high or chunky, but it's got, you know, the slats at the bottom, which means that there's airflow and, and you know, not uh, creating this the conditions to have mold underneath my mattress. And then the mattress is made out of certified organic latex and it's encased in organic cotton and hemp. And then I haven't ordered this yet at the time of recording, but I found a a futon sofa bed that I want to put in my lounge room. So to double as a a couch or a sofa. And then if anyone sleeps over, it's a double um, fold out futon. And so I found one that's certified organic as well uh, from a company called Organature. So that'll be something that I kind of, I work out uh, later on. In the meantime, I've got some, some natural linen bean bags that I'll, that I've already got, that I've already got and that I'll be using uh, in the, in the interim before the, the futon sofa bed arrives. Okay, I want to talk about my composting toilet now. So as I mentioned at the start, I this is one of the areas that I did consulting in and I consulted with Anthony Smith from Waterwally, who I've had on the podcast episode number 15. I highly recommend checking that out that episode. Anthony is a wealth of knowledge in grey water systems, composting toilets, wastewater management and all that kind of stuff. He's an environmental engineer really lovely guy. And he's been so helpful. Like we've had many conversations on the phone and he's just always been gone above and beyond so generous with his time and sharings and his energy. And it was interesting because, and I'll share about this in more detail on another podcast, but because of my situation with my parking space, uh, 
being up in the air during the time of the the design process as well as oh actually by the time it, it was built it was starting to get built. I think I'd had it locked in, but during the design process where I had to make all these decisions of like, what kind of toilet do I want to go with? I knew I wanted to go with a composting toilet, but I didn't know which one. And my first parking space didn't work out. And I realized that after a couple of days, and then I had to go and find another parking space, which has worked out so much better. Another story for another time. But because of going through that, I didn't know I was going back and forth between like which option would be the best for me. Should I get a self-contained toilet because I don't know necessarily where I'm going to park it and maybe a self-contained composting toilet would just be easier to manage because then I wouldn't have to worry about the cutting, getting a hole cut in the floor and then having a composting chamber below. But then what happens if, you know, that's not something that is possible at the or is okay with wherever I end up parking or what if I had to be in a caravan park for, you know, a short amount of time. And so would a split system really be a good option if I was in that situation? Whereas if a, if I had a self-contained toilet, then I could just kind of, if I had to, could I use a dumping point to dispose of the waste for now? And, you know, just this back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I considered the separate tiny or the separate villa I considered the nature loo, the green loo, and and then it kind of came to this decision, you know, just talking to Anthony, it was going to be between the nature loo, which is a split system with a chamber below the floor, which requires a lot less emptying, versus the wandering molly, which is uh, Anthony at Water Wally's version of the separate composting toilet. And because the separate is a European brand, I think it's Swedish, versus the wa- the wandering molly which is australian for me is also important to consider the environmental aspects of you know how far these things are being transported and that kind of stuff and i just wanted to support australian made in this situation so then i ended up going with the self-contained wandering molly which I got shipped to Designer Eco and they installed it all. And then interestingly enough, now I've found my parking space that I feel like I'm going to be there at least for, you know, two or three years. I don't know, it could be longer to see what happens, but I know that this place is much more suited to me than where I was before. And so now I'm kind of like, should I have gotten the split system? (laughs) But I've got the Wandering Wally and I'm excited to try it out and, you know, I will, I will share my experiences. So watch this space. And I highly recommend, you know, if you're wanting to know more about navigating your own situation with grey water systems, composting toilets, that kind of thing, that Anthony does consultation. So I'll put a link in the, the show notes for that as well at tinyhouseconversations.com as well as our podcast episode together. Um, and just one one more thing I wanted to mention about the internal part of my tiny home as it relates to healthy home environments is I've been super mindful for a long time of getting rid of all unnatural cleaning products, personal care products, that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to go through all the different things that I use, but I will say, uh, because I think what we what's very common for a tiny home is is cleaning the tiny home and then being in a smaller space you don't you really don't want to have those chemicals there and so what I'll be using to clean my tiny home is I've got uh, young living essential oil based cleaners so like the thieves household cleaner as well as the thieves essential oil which I'll I'll use and I'll, I'll probably use some some vinegar as well as maybe bicarb soda, but yeah, just trying to be as natural and, and chemical free as possible. Now, before I get to the external aspects of my tiny home, I just wanted to mention that when it comes to building materials, it's really hard to have, you know, every single aspect of your home be completely chemical free. Because the reality is that in the the building industry, you know, with, with building materials, whether it's timber, whether it's other types of materials, often they, they're treated with chemicals and different substances that are, are very questionable, including the glues and the different finishes and the different paints and, and all of that kind of stuff as well as it's pretty hard to source or it's really expensive to source you know, other types of natural materials, whether it's hemp, whether it's bamboo uh, and things of that nature. 
But interestingly enough, something that I'm aware of is that you know, some of those products can also be treated with with chemicals as well. So it's it's a bit of a minefield. But if you listen to episode number 40 with Zara Dakota on building materials, she talks about how, you know, just letting go of the idea of perfection and having every single little thing because it, it realistically it's really not going to be possible if you think about all the different layers that go into cr- constructing a, a tiny home or a home from scratch so many moving parts and it, it, it's just not possible so I think that one thing that I really had to remind myself of was to let go of that and just control what I can control or make healthier choices where I can, but then just be okay with not being able to have everything exactly the way I want it. And then once it comes time to living in the tiny is to just do the best that you can of having a lot of ventilation and a lot of natural light and things like that so that we can you know, minimize exposure to these different types of chemicals that can be in the environment. Now, the last part of the show I wanted to talk about are some external factors around the tiny home. So that includes my solar trailer, as well as what I did to navigate where I was going to be parking my tiny house. So also in episode number 32, Amy talked a little bit about solar trailers. I asked her some questions about solar trailers and electromagnetic fields. And also in my consultations with Amy and Lynn, we talked about solar systems and, and the, the different types of setups and what would be best and what, you know, what things to ask. And, and Lynn, I actually, Lynn was so kind as to actually get on the phone to one of the solar companies that I spoke with because I did my research and I spoke with probably three or four different companies just to ask different questions. Unfortunately, the electromagnetic field thing is not something that's so widely known or taught to electricians and in this space. And so sometimes I'd get different, I'd get different answers or people not really knowing or getting answers that kind of contradict what the building biologists and the the EMFS experts are saying. And so, yeah, Lynn actually talked to one of the companies for me and was super helpful because they, she was helping with me with some of the questions to ask. But when, when it came to some of those technical things around electronics and and stuff, it was just really tricky to always know the right questions to ask and and maybe the right things to come back with. And so she was super helpful with that. And what I ended up deciding was that a solar trailer was going to be the best option for me because if you hear in episode 32, Amy talks about having solar panels on the roof. If they're, you know, right above your sleeping area, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and there are ways to kind of reduce the exposure a little bit, but but as I mentioned earlier in this episode, distance is the most important thing. And so I knew that I didn't want to have solar panels right above where I was sleeping. And with a solar trailer, uh, because the other aspect to consider when it comes to electromagnetic fields is the inverter, and often it's the inverter is mainly magnetic fields, but uh, these days with all the different smart and wireless technology, they can also have wireless fields, which are even uh, very p- problematic too. Um, especially from a, a bigger distance than electro and magnetic fields. I decided to go with a designer Eco Tiny Homes trailer, but what I did was I asked if I could customize and use a different inverter that d- didn't include smart technology uh, and that could be where the Bluetooth and all of that could be turned off. And I also decided... Um, had the option between a manual generator or an automatic generator and most people would go for the automatic generator because it's easy and you don't have to think about it but what I realized with a an automatic generator is there's an extra bit of wireless technology that communicates between the uh, the inverter and the generator which means like more electromagnetic fields and so I decided that I'd rather get a manual generator and not have that extra feature. But then also the other side of that is I like to be 
involved and understand how, you know, this this system is going to work so that I can kind of just have more of an awareness and more of a, an involvement in the workings of, of something that, you know, is, is part of my home and the way that I'm living. And so if I had to monitor it myself and just go up to the, the system, um, from time to time and go and go and check where it's at. And if I need to use the, the generator and go and start it myself, that I would do that. And, and then the other thing, obviously with the solar trailer, so everything is on the trailer. So there's nothing at the tiny house. There's no inverter. There's no solar panels. It's all on the trailer and the trailer can be situated up to 50 meters away. So either the trailer comes with a 20 meter cord as standard, or you can customize it to maybe be longer than that. And so I decided to get a a 50 meter cable so that I could have it further away. And, you know, just talking to, to Amy about this, uh, she was saying that, you know, she'd be, or she feels comfortable that, you know, the, the solar trailer would be further away because the other thing to consider, and this is something that I think is, is tricky is that even though I've customized the inverter and I'll put a link in the show notes to which one I've used actually, instead of um, going with the the regular one that they typically use, which is a smart solar, which I didn't want to have, because that's a lot more elect- uh, a lot more wireless fields. Is that there is a remote monitoring function, and Amy said to me in our console that if there's a remote monitoring function, that means that there there is some way that the solar system, so the inverter would be talking to whatever device you use to monitor your solar system. And so what I've decided with that is to not install that monitoring app on my phone or my computer because then it does have that wireless communication technology. Whereas if I don't use that and I don't download that app and I'm not connected to the the internet through that, that should help to reduce exposure to some of those electromagnetic fields. And then, you know, if I wanted to go up and monitor every now and then I could just go up, you know, to the system itself and take a quick look and then go. And what what I'll mention is uh, I actually use some electromagnetic field meters to measure the electromagnetic field, electric and magnetic fields, as well as the wireless fields. And I did that with the parking space of where my tiny is going to be. So I went around around that area and just like measured to see if there were any fields that that were being picked up, whether it was from electric fencing, whether it was from uh, different wireless fields in the environment, maybe from internet, uh, from neighbors and and the main home on the property, uh, as well as maybe some underground electrical wiring anywhere. So that was really helpful. Because you definitely don't want to be parking your tiny home directly below or directly above or right next to some electromagnetic field source. And then the other thing I did around that EMF assessment was I actually contacted a a building biologist that was recommended to me by um, a lady that I know that's also a building biologist but in a different area. And he actually did. So his name is Senri and he is from Balanced Building Biology. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. And he did a a radio frequency or an RF neighborhood assessment where it's a virtual analysis. It's a couple hundred dollars. And he looks into the different mobile phone towers, the different NBN wireless satellite fields, and just other different problematic wireless fields that could be in the nearby area from where I'm living, where I was going to be parking. Now, this virtual analysis doesn't include things like, you know, neighbors, Wi-Fi and and Wi-Fi from the home on the the other home on the property and that kind of stuff. It's just the what's in what's in the, the neighborhood in terms of those things that I mentioned before. And you know, if there are any concerns, then building biologists like him can come in and and maybe do like a full on on site assessment and put some different things into place that could help with reducing the electromagnetic fields. And that costs a bit more money, is a bit more of an investment. But what I wanted to do just initially was just to get a bit of an idea of, you know, what the wireless or the electromagnetic field radio frequency environment was like around where I was going to be parking. And thankfully it turned out to be super low. So some of the closest mobile phone towers and things like that were actually 
far enough distance away that, you know, he wasn't worried about any kind of significant exposure. So that was really interesting. And, you know, that's not something that everyone's going to want to do. But if you're someone that is, you know, if this is really important to you, you know, it, it is something that can be done. And, and you know, he basically, he, he creates like a, a comprehensive video and analysis for you to just go through different things. And he, and he might even, for me, like he pointed out a few other things that he could see when it comes to maybe like, you know, there were bushfires in certain areas. So, you know, these things you can consider and, and that type of stuff. So he, you know, looking at things from a, a holistic way of, of a healthy home environment. Now, if you want to get an RF neighborhood assessment done for your external wireless fields, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can contact Senri and let, just let him know I sent you. And I'll also put a link in the show notes for the different EMF meters that I used. And just a side note on these EMF meters, I'm actually looking to sell mine. So if you're interested in you know, measuring these different electromagnetic fields for yourself and maybe don't want to spend as much money as you would to get a new one, um, just send me a DM or something on, on Instagram or at Tiny House Conversations or an email at tinyhouseconversations at gmail.com or even if you have any questions, I'm always happy to, to answer those. Now that brings us to the end of this Healthy Tiny Home episode I think I've gone through everything. I hope I haven't missed anything. But if you have any questions, feel free to let me know. I'd love to hear from you. I'll put a link in the show notes for everything that I mentioned on the show today at tinyhouseconversations.com. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here. Stay tuned every Thursday for new episodes of Tiny House Conversations, and I'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, you found it valuable and you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is to share the love. That way I can keep bringing you more tiny house conversations to help you on your own tiny journey. So here are three ways that you can support the podcast. Number one, if you have a friend or family member that you feel would benefit from hearing these conversations, feel free to share it with them, email them, text them, send them a telegram, do whatever you need to do to share it with them. Number two, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll know exactly when the next episode is live. And number three, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. I appreciate you and I'll see you in the next episode.